The last time we got together, we began to examine a financial plan that is designed to reduce, if not altogether eliminate, uh, material, the, the uh, marital conflicts that are arising in our marriages over financial matters. Now, whether you're married or single, the goal in your life should be simply this. Don't let money control your life. Whether you're single or you're married, the goal should be don't let money control your life. I had a phone call this past week from a friend of ours from a Bible study that we did several years ago. And at the time, he was making a tremendous amount of money, and uh, money seemed to be something that was never going to be a problem in their life. But he called me and he just said, Chuck, I want to tell you that God changed our marriage and changed our life by teaching us financial principles that we never quite understood and that we never really applied. And so we got into this conversation about some of the problems that they had run into, and it appears that uh, they had just made, about a year ago, they made their last settlement with the creditors that they owed money to. Make a long, complicated story short, basically what happened was they were carrying over $1 million in unsecured notes that were owed either to mortgage companies, auto loans, personal lines of credit, credit card balances, lines of equity, you name it, they borrowed against it and they owed on it, which wasn't a problem at that particular time because they had the financial resources to meet their obligations. But they ran into a problem and they couldn't meet their obligations anymore. And so by strict definition, once you cannot meet your obligations, you find yourself knee deep in debt. In their case, it was up to their eyeballs. And they didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to handle it. And his wife, and, they had, and what's interesting was, they had been in a financial class that we had taught at one particular time about biblical principles of finance. And at the time, it didn't make much sense to them, or it wasn't really as, as critical it was to them as it was when they were going through all this. So they pulled out some old notes, and his wife handed him notes of the series that we had done several years ago. And they started to read these particular notes, and they started to look at them in light of now what they were going through. And all of a sudden, the light clicked on, and things that were taught made sense then. And we all know how that is. Sometimes some of the things that we talk about really don't make much difference to you today. But somewhere along the line, they make difference because they're true. And so they got it out, and they started to look at it, and they started to see all the areas that they had violated, every principle that God said was true as far as principles of finance. And so they went to get some counsel, and one place led to another, and they went, and finally, it seemed like their only option was going to be to file bankruptcy and to take a particular person to court and sue them for some money that was owed them. And they thought, well, this would be the way they could solve all their problems. But as they continued to study the Bible, as they continued to look at what these financial principles were, they decided that, you know what, that isn't what God wants. God wants them to pay their debts. God didn't want them to file bankruptcy and to try to ease their way out of the problems that they created. God didn't want them to sue the particular person that they were going to sue. And so through a long process, they began to apply some biblical principles of finance. And for four years, almost five years, they struggled to pay off every creditor, which they did. And he was calling to tell me that they had gone one year completely financially free and debt-free. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what, isn't it amazing when we commit to doing what's right, what God says he will deliver us from. And we need to recognize this truth because many of us find ourselves in a similar situation, although maybe it's not as staggering as over a million dollars in debt, but you ask yourself a question as I asked him, I said, you know what, how did you do it? And he said, it was really simple. I said, well, how? He goes, well, we just applied some fundamental principles that we learned from what we had studied in the Bible 
And basically, these seven fundamental principles are seven principles that we began in our last meeting together to take a look at, and I want to pick up where we left off. And we need to recognize the fact that, you know what, if you apply these seven financial fundamental principles, it will spare you from much misery in your marriage and also in your life if you happen to be single at this time. Seven financial fundamentals that if you apply them will change your life and it'll free you from everything and anything that you could imagine. Number one, we talked in great detail last time. If you weren't here, you might get the tape or whatever. But everything that we'll talk about hinges on this first point. If you are to become and we are to become financially free, we must learn this truth, and that is that we honor the Lord first in everything that we do. That we must honor God first. Everything else that we're going to talk about follows this particular principle. And I'll guarantee you this, if you do not honor God first, the things that we will share in this particular session won't make any sense to you whatsoever. In fact, they won't even seem right. But don't ever forget this. There's a way that seems right to man, but its way always leads to destruction. There's a lot of counsel and advice out there that all seems logical and makes a lot of sense, but it will lead you to nothing but further difficulties in your life. It seems right, it sounds good. It sounded great to file bankruptcy and get out of this mess that they were in. But they learned a valuable lesson by honoring God first and His Word is what God had to say about honoring and paying their debts. They honored the Lord first. And in simple terms, it means this. The first check that you write comes right from what God has given you. The honor of the Lord and the first of all that you produce or the first of your produce, it says in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor God first. Read Malachi chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The Bible is filled with passages that deal with honoring God and putting Him in first. The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And when you love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commandments sum up everything that the Bible teaches. And God says that we honor Him first by giving to Him first. And so the challenge that we need to understand is if we are to be blessed by God, we must honor Him first. And He says He'll open the gates of heaven. The windows of heaven will be open to us and He'll pour out into our lives His blessings. Now, it doesn't always mean that if you give Him five bucks, He's going to give you 25 bucks, but it may be He's going to bless you in many ways that you never even see His hand. And we'll discuss that as we go along. So we need to honor God first. And that means when you write that check, what I would recommend, write it to a Bible teaching church that teaches the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ that's committed to reaching your community and then the world as a whole with that particular truth, that has an accountability or structure set up. So when you give money, they are accountable to the Lord, and they're accountable to one another, and they're accountable to us as a congregation of how that money is spent. There's no secrets. There's nothing hidden behind anything. There isn't somebody taking 90% of it for personal gain and income and using 10% as a smoke screen to say that they're doing things for people. We need to recognize that shysters are out there in this world, and they're going to manipulate people and make you feel guilty. Hey, don't forget to honor God and they're going to take your money and do whatever they want with it but we need to recognize this while there are shysters and charlatans and people that will rob from us in the name of giving to God we need to recognize what the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 he goes you know there are people out there preaching the gospel and they're doing it because they love the Lord and there are other people out there doing it because they're going to get great personal gain from it but nonetheless don't ever forget this the gospel was preached and the Lord will be glorified and it does not excuse us from not honoring God by giving to Him. It does not excuse us because there are people out there who are wicked and manipulated and want to steal from us. We need to recognize who these people are, not give to them, and give to the places that are doing the most work and the most benefit. That's number one. Honor the Lord first. Number two, 
stay out of debt. We just began to touch on this particular subject, but I'll tell you this. You show me a couple who are in debt, and I'll show you a marriage that is filled with conflict and strife, a marriage that's filled with anger and resentment, and a marriage that is in danger of failing. You show me a marriage that is filled with debt, up to your ankles, your knees, your neck, I don't care how deep in debt you are, but I'll show you conflict in that particular relationship. And you show me an individual that's in debt, and I'll show you an individual's life that is in turmoil. Because Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. You know, I see, you ever see that bumper sticker? Some of us have seen it, and I laugh when I see it, but it's I owe, I owe, what? It's off to work I go. You know, in a lot of ways, that's true. When you stop and think about it, there are many people who are enslaved to their jobs, and they do compromising things in their faith, because they need to make a certain amount of money to pay bills and obligations that they have. Why? Because they're in debt. I owe, I owe, it's off to work. I go, and I hate my job, but I got all these bills, and I have to work, and I got to pay the bills, and that's why I'm here. And so, may I help you? <laughs> you ever have somebody like that wait on you? It's like, what are you doing here? And they, I mean, especially like you get a waitress or a waiter or somebody that's supposed to be in the service business. And all they do is they're moaning the ground. And, uh, what, you want more water? Yeah. Well, and it's like they want to tell you, what, your legs broke? <laughs> you know, you've been drinking now water for an hour. Don't you go to the bathroom or something? I mean, you know, they got this attitude like, am I bothering you? Have you ever asked? I ask people that. I, you know, you get so sick of it after a while. You go, hey, I'm sorry, am I bothering you? <laughs> well, here, oh, sit down. Here, take my seat. Okay, would you want an iced tea, some bread? What do you want? It's like, yeah, it looks like you're having a tough life. Like, man, what is wrong with you? I know what's wrong with them. They hate their job. Why do they hate their job? Because they have to make money. Why do they have to make money? Because they got bills to pay. Why do they got bills to pay? Because they made some choices. Ah. Trying to say it's my fault? No, I don't know. It might be. But stop and think about it, you know? Stay out of debt. What are the signs of indebtedness? Number one, like my friend, you got money that you owe. And you're having a problem making your payments. You got money you owe and you can't make your payments. You're in debt. Second thing is you owe money or you got an amount that you owe and it's greater than the value of what you're paying for. You're in debt. Now the second one I want to talk a little bit about because that's the quicksand of debt and many of us find ourselves struggling in it. That's when you buy things that depreciate. <clears throat> Stop and think about it. This is so common today that it's amazing to me how easy it is to get into this problem. When you buy depreciating items, items like furniture, cars, boats, jet skis, stereo, sporting goods, most jewelry, food, entertainment, vacation. Hey, listen, a heating and air conditioning system is a wonderful investment. <laughs> Listen, i got to believe that now, because that's what I do for a living. All right, anyway. Clothes. Real estate in Southern California could be possible. But the point is, you buy all of these items with very little money down, and in fact, in, in most cases, with no money down, and then you finance the balance at high interest rates for a long period of time. And it's so easy to fall into it. 
Let's look at the newspaper ads. Watch the television commercials. Zero down. No payments for a year and a half. Hurry up and buy the big screen TV before the bowl game. You can watch them this year and not have to pay for them till July of 1997. I am the king. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Man, uh, that was a good line, but I wasn't going to say that because I don't want to get myself in a lot of trouble here now. But we've all seen the ads. We know what that's all about. And the point is, it's make it as easy as possible for people to what? Get in debt. I mean, it's amazing to me. It's the quickest way to get into debt is using credit cards or credit of any sort. In fact, do you ever see the American Express commercial? American Express, I just saw it yesterday. I was cracking up. I was reading through my notes, and I saw it on Jerry Seinfeld. is doing this American Express commercial, and he falls overboard of a cruise ship. And he swims on to shore, and he's walking down the beach. He goes up to a hotel, and they look at him like he's just bummed. He's not shaven. His clothes are all tattered, and he walks right in. And they look at him, and he goes, flashes an American Express. Oh, sir. And they sit him down at a table, and they bring him out like an 18-course meal, lobster, all this stuff. They bring it to his table. He walks over to the desk, and he flashes him this. And they, he rents a little moped, and he's driving down the road, this dirt road in a moped. And he gets up to a real nice hotel, walks in. They give him a dirty look again, flashes American Express. Oh, come here. And they go out, and they give him a nice room. He showers, he shaves, he gets all cleaned up. He walks downstairs, flashes it again. He gets a new tuxedo. He goes out, and he goes to the rental car place, gets a rental car, flashes the American Express, gets in the rental car, drives out to the airport, and there's a helicopter waiting for him, flashes American Express, gets in the helicopter, flies in the helicopter out to the boat, he goes walking in, you see the slippery one wet sign near the, the edge of the ship, walks past that, kind of looks, laughs, walks in, he goes, okay, now where were we? <laughs> all of that because he has American Express. You've seen all those commercials, go on that romantic trip, and if your spouse doesn't go with you, then you go on your own and charge it and meet somebody else. Are you seen, I've, there's a commercial, I've seen that commercial, I don't make this stuff up, I'm not that smart. Oh, not all of it. <laughs> but the point is, we've all seen commercials like that, and a lot of us are falling for it, and you're all getting into trouble, and you need to understand you're in quicksand, and you're going down fast. You don't believe it? Listen to this. This was an article in the L.A. Times. Generation X pays its way in plastic. L.A. Times dated 12-12-1995. And it says this. Young adults are burdened by record debt fueled by student loans and credit cards. Some experts also blame attitudes shaped by a culture of borrowing. And this goes on. I'll just read a little bit of it. It says, as the first in his family to go to college, Michael Puccini was determined to make the most of his years at Chapman University in Orange. So the lanky, freckled San Jose native became student body president, attended nearly every football game, was a campus radio broadcaster, double majored in theater arts and public relations. But there's one thing he wishes he had never done in college. In the fall of his senior year, he stopped by a booth in front of the student union and signed up for a credit card, and it dramatically changed his life. By graduation, he had a wallet full of plastic and was $3,000 in debt. Plus, he owed $13,000 in student loans. Overwhelmed, he moved back home after a tearful phone conversation with his father, and this is what he said. I had a lot of fun with credit, but I'm really paying for it today. It has kept me from doing a lot of things. Oh, it sounds almost biblical there, doesn't it? The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. It has kept me from doing a lot of things. It has inhibited my freedom to make choices because now I have to live to pay off my debt. It says more than any other generation before them, today's young adults are emerging from school and beginning their careers weighed down by a heavy burden of debt. 
Fresh statistics say that it has jumped 20% in the last two years. The average total debt for this age group, age 20 through 29, excluding mortgages, stands at almost $11,000 per person. And that's compared to $6,600 two years ago. Young adults now carry nearly as much debt as other adults, even though they earn about half of what people in their 50s make. Interesting, isn't it? And the article goes on and says, you know, basically the problem is that young people have grown up in an era of debt. They're comfortable with borrowing, like no one else in the history of our country. Many young adults haven't had such training or experience of how to manage their money. And like everybody else, they face enormous pressures to spend and live life to its fullest. This particular young man, the Camp Chapman alumnus, says his introduction to plastic was a Sears card with a $250 limit. He reached it within, within days when he bought a $230 ring for his then fiance, whom he never married. He says, I was foolish. Wonder what he meant. But, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Let me give you a true story. A friend of ours spent $50,000, sent his daughter to college up in Seattle, Washington. She went to college for four years. She got an art degree. Some of you see where it's going, don't you? She got herself an art degree. Then went out and tried to find a job in the real world. Now, her dad, who's not a Christian, was sharing this story with me, and as many expletives as you can figure out on your own, he shared what he thought of this bleepity bleepity bleep art degree that cost him $50,000. And he said that then he had to give her a job in the company that he owned as a secretary, and she moaned and groaned about making $8 an hour, which was more than she was worth because she couldn't even type and she didn't know how to answer the phone. <laughs> but anyway, she got an art degree for $50,000. So this went on for about a year, so he was so frustrated with it, they finally sat down and said, what are you going to do with your life? And she said, you know, what I've always really wanted to do was, was uh, be a beautician, or uh, what do they call them today? I don't know what they call them today. Something about, you know, hair management control specialist or something. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. You know what it is, something like that, I don't know. Anyway, make a long story short, she was, that's what she wanted to do. So for the next six months, he paid for her to go to some beauty academy, she got her certificate, he got her set up in business, and this was two or three years ago, she's loving every minute of it, she's doing great, and he's like, you know what, now do you think I was smart spending $50,000 on an art degree? Now he's a college grad, and I didn't really have to answer the question for him, did I? <laughs> and you know what's sad to me, and what frightens me, is that many of us who say we love the Lord, and say we want to follow biblical principles in every area of our life, will fall into these traps all along the way, and act as if, you know what though, but this is different in our case. I see people that are sending their kids to college and they're going in debt and borrowing to send them to school for the same thing so they can come out with an art degree that's totally worthless four years later so they can party and have a good time for four years and act as if somehow or another they have an obligation to do that. I disagree. Not that I disagree with higher education, but I disagree with indebtedness. And I disagree because the Bible clearly teaches that. That you're going to have a major problem when you do things like that. I see, I see parents who go out and go into debt to pay for their kids' weddings. What's that all about? I mean, and, you know, and then I read the story about a guy who goes out and borrows money to buy his fiance a ring. I mean, how stupid can we be in certain areas and wonder why we have nothing but problems later on? We need to recognize and just get smacked straight in the face with some of the realities of life that we need to look at what these principles are and understand them for our own benefit and for our own good. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with paying for a wedding. There's nothing wrong with going to school to get a degree. There's nothing wrong with going out and buying an engagement wing or a wedding, wing, wedding ring. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, and it's easy to do because all those words just ran together. <laughs> but the point is, we need to stay out of debt. And it's interesting, you know, this, this past, uh, well, it was just a month ago, it was December, we were doing some year-end purchases for our business, and we used a credit card to do that, and we, you know, we get those airline miles and stuff like that, which is another little configuration to get you to do things that you normally wouldn't do, so you can go on a free trip that costs you a million dollars. But anyway, it was from a business standpoint, and, and so we were buying these things, and, and we knew how much we were going to buy, and we knew it was all budgeted, and we, it was all set up, and we did that, and we bought it, and we get the bill, and I'm looking at this credit card bill, and it's for fly, almost $5,000. You know, and I'm ready to write the check to pay it. And I, and I look at the bottom of the statement. And it says at the bottom of the statement that the minimum payment due was, guess how much? Now, $103. $103. We bought $5,000 worth of stuff, and we only have to pay $103. It seems like a great deal. So you sit down and realize we're paying $103 at 18% interest a year. And I sat down and figured out if we never bought another thing on that particular credit card, just made minimum payments, it would take almost 10 years to get out of debt. What a great deal. <laughs> it's amazing to me that we've all fallen into that trap. You know, what the point is, what's the point? The point is it's a lot harder to get out of debt than it is to get in it. It only took me two days to spend $5,000 on my credit card. And the people from Visa were really cool because they kept calling and saying, well, we have this unusual activity on your account, <laughs> which was really nice of them, you know, as opposed to, well, that's just par for the course. Um, you know, so, but it was always fun. We got to know the operator from Visa. It was really nice. <laughs> but the point is you go through this and you start to go look at this and go, you know what, how many are you bombarded regularly with letters like this? Dear Mr. Slash Ms. If you are paying high interest rates on credit cards, charge counts, or finance company loans, you're paying too much. Are your payments too high? Qualifying is easier than you think. Imagine paying off all your bills, getting one low monthly payment, and saving hundreds of dollars in needless interest. Ever see one of those letters? Qualifying is easier than you think. We look at your personal situation first, instead of starting with your credit and debt history the way some other lenders do. Oh, they care about me. That's so nice. And I like to call them and say, look, if you care about me so much, why are you charging me fees and interest on the money you're giving us? If you really love me, just give me the money. Click. Doesn't work that way, does it? You know what? What should you do if you want to get control of your finances and stay out of debt? Number one. If you're in debt, commit to getting out of it as quickly as possible. Give you some examples. If you owe credit card balances and you got money in savings at 3% and you're paying 18%, hello. <laughs> See, that's why I wanted this little hands-on financial thing because some of these things you do in little workshops and it's a lot more appropriate. But just to give you, you know, some quick rules of thumb here, if you're making 3% on your savings and you're paying income tax on that 3% that you get, and you're paying 18% over here, and there's no benefits whatsoever to it because there's no consumer debt that you can write off as far as interest anymore. Uh, hello. What I would do is I would take the money out of the bank, and I would pay off those balances on those credit cards. You follow this logic? All right, good. Now, if you can't pay off the whole thing, then increase your principal payments and get out of debt. 
Another little tidbit of advice. If you're single, don't get into debt and don't carry debt into your new relationship and don't carry debt into a new marriage. Do your future spouse the greatest, give him, give him or her the greatest gift that you can give, a debt-free spouse. Now, I don't know if that's going to be enough, but it's a good start. No down payment? Well, there's better be some interest. Because <laughs> if there ain't no interest, there ain't sense going any further with that. Pay cash. You want to buy something? Save your money and pay cash for it. Don't use credit cards. You know why? Because studies have been done and you'll spend 30% more money than you would have if you use credit card versus using cash. There's something about our mentality that when you pull cash out of your wallet, you realize exactly what you're doing. The easiest thing in the world is just to say, stick it on the credit card. Pay cash. The reason Las Vegas went from using cash, not, and they say it's for security reasons, all this kind of stuff, but the reason that they use chips and things like that is because it detaches you from a sense of what the value is. And they saw that when they changed from using cash to use bets to go to chips and other things and tokens and stuff like that, that people gambled 30% more than they did before they were using, when they were using cash. So don't use it. Pay cash. Save your money and pay cash for whatever it is that you think that you need. Stop using credit cards. Now, some of you say, oh, but we need one for ID. Well, then use it for ID. <laughs> Duh. Nice try. But use it for ID. Destroy. I mean, if you can't stop using credit cards, then cut them up and throw them away. Stick them in the oven and watch them melt. Put them in the microwave. I mean, some, find some neat thing to do that you really enjoy together and get rid of them. And then honor the Lord by committing to pay your debts. Stay out of debt. Now you're thinking, well, how, you know what, how do we avoid this? How do you avoid getting into debt? Real simple. You need to learn to be content with what you have. Learn to be content with what you have. I'll tell you what, this will change your life. I want you to stop and think for, with me for a moment. Are you content with your home? Are you content with your furniture? Are you content with interior decorations? Are you content with your car or truck? Are you content with your stereo system? Are you content with your television? Are you content with your clothes? Are you content with your jewelry? Are you content with, with your, uh, your golf clubs and skis and bikes and uh, boats and all the rest of it? Are you content with all that stuff? Or do you find yourself wanting to replace some or all of these items with something that's bigger and better and newer and nicer? Am I getting a little personal? You know, marriages often suffer, you know, because of the lack of contentment on the part of one or both parties. Let me give you a typical illustration. Tell me if you can't relate to this. Let's take the wife for a second. As dangerous as this may be for me. Let's take the wife who constantly complains that her house is too small or needs whatever needs new carpet, needs new drapes, needs new orientation on the lot. Um, you know, <laughs> needs, uh, I, you know, needs whatever, you know, uh, constantly needs these things to make her happy. And, and her husband's discouraged because, you know what, in, in his eyes, you know, he can't and he's just not good enough for her. And in her eyes, he just doesn't measure up. Now, she doesn't recognize the truth of the matter that 80% that of the world's population would just envy her or covet what she has to trade places with her for a moment. But that's not the point here. The point is that she wants more, 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 more. 
And the guy's out there working to try to provide, 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 and he can't keep up with her wants and her needs and her desires and basically her greed. So he gets all frustrated by it. And she says, you need to make more money. How many of you ever had that conversation in your home? We need to make more money. Why do we need to make more money? Because we got all these bills to pay. Why do we got all these bills to pay? Because we've chosen to buy all this stuff, and now we have all these debts, and now we need to make more money. And the solution to our problem is more money. Whatever. And that's why we all want to win the lottery. Because the answer to all our problems is we just need more money. That's what the problem is. It's not we're spending too much. It's just that we don't make enough. And it's a contentment issue. So the wife tells her husband, you need to make more money. So he starts working longer. He takes another job or else he even works overtime. He works longer hours, works harder, tries to make more money. And then guess what? Then she's all upset because he's not spending time with her and the kids. <laughs> Duh-lo. And you got this guy that's just totally whooped and defeated and he doesn't understand what's going on. You got all this friction, tension, bitterness in your house. Why? Because you don't make enough money to keep up with what? Our greed. Now men are just as guilty as their wives because I know a lot of men who have resentment and bitterness and anger and hatred toward their wife and children because he can't go out and buy a new set of golf clubs because his kids bother him that it's time, you know, every five years to get me a new pair of shoes, daddy. You know what I'm saying? And he's all upset because they have these needs that are keeping him from experiencing his greed. And on and on it goes. You know, we all need a little help in learning to be content. I had a brother-in-law that came out here once for his son's wedding, and, we were, and he was staying with us, and he was walking around, and he was walking around, and he was looking at Southern California. And this is what he said. He said, man. Anybody who comes from back, he's always said this, especially from small towns in Pennsylvania, they say, man. Where do all these people get all this money? He says, you know, if my friends back home knew how much money was trading hands out here, there'd be a revolution. Interesting thought. I started looking at him, giving him a double take, see if he was armed. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that he made a good point. Well, little did he realize that it was all an illusion. And that very few people in Southern California even have any money. <laughs> True, huh? You ever see the cartoon? I love the cartoon. There's a big old, just looks like a mansion, right? Just two, two foreign sports cars in the driveway. Big, huge mansion. And, and it shows this little solitary figure getting off a bicycle and walking up to the front door. Knocking on the front door, no one answers. Ringing the doorbell, no one answers. Next caption, it shows, just it, the house is pitch black and dark. And they show these eyes underneath like the dining room table. And, the, and this couple is hiding. And, and the last caption is, has he gone yet? And the final one, as you see, is this, it's the paper boy walking away. And he was trying to collect for papers. And uh, it's kind of like, oh, is he gone yet? You know, many of us live our lives like that. Maybe not that to that degree, but the reality of what he was saying was, he said, Chuck, you know what? Don't take for granted what you see every day. Wow. He didn't even say that. But God said that. And we all need to learn to be content. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's amazing to me how quickly this can happen in our life. The Apostle Paul says, not that I speak from want, 
starting with verse 11, chapter 4. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have what? I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering needs. So I learned the secret of being content. It was a secret, and for many of us it still is a secret. Contentment is the greatest mystery that some of us can ever discover. It's the secret of being content. The secret of being content. To live to, and be content whether you have plenty or whether you're in want. Whether you're living in a mansion or you're just living in your car. To learn the secret of being content is the greatest gift that God could give any one of us as we leave here today. The secret of contentment. And you know how you become content in life? In verse 15 and 13, he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of contentment is a personal relationship with the God who made you. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that he has promised to meet all of our needs, not our greeds, but he promises to meet our needs. He says, cast your cares and your burdens upon me. Cast your needs upon me and I will care for you. The secret of contentment is coming into a right relationship with God and never taking your eyes off of Him ever again and understanding that God's desire is to meet our needs, to take care of His kids. He is a perfect Father and Jesus said it to the Pharisees when it said, which one of you, if your son came to you and asked you for a piece of bread, would give him a fish? Or you'd give him a snake or a stone? He goes, you wouldn't do that. How much more so would I give to you and I know what you need? The secret of contentment and the secret of of finding that God is alive and well and in every situation of our life is entering into a relationship with Him and then never taking our eyes off of Him ever again. And I believe that's why we honor Him first in everything that He gives us. So it reminds us that He is the source of everything that we have. Every possession that we have and every ability that He's given us to make ends meet, to meet our needs, it all comes from the hand of God. We can't lose sight of that, folks. I know I haven't. And I'll tell you why. Because I can relate to what Paul's saying. When Linda and I moved here, our daughter was six months old. In 1976, we moved to Southern California. And that first year that we lived here, we made less money than what the the government declared poverty level was. I remember what it was like working part-time and going to school at night. I remember what it was like going and get food stamps for my family. I remember what all of that was like. And it was 20 years ago, but I've never forgot that for a moment. And the reason for it is because God from that time on has taken us on a journey and he's been the one that's led the whole journey. He's taken us forward. And there have been years that we've made 25 times the amount that we made the first year that we moved to California. There were years in business in in the 80s and, and some of the better years that we had in the construction industry where many of us made a lot more money. And we were going on trips all over the world that were sponsored by manufacturers because of the business that we did. And we went to Europe three or four times. We went on the Orient Express all through Switzerland for 10 days. We went to Greece. We went to the Netherlands. We went to Tahiti twice. We went on a cruise to Tahiti. We went to Hawaii. We went all over the world, man. We got to enjoy all of that. And then as they say, that was then and this is now. (laughs) Right? And it ain't the same. And guess what? I don't drive a Mercedes that's sponsored by a company or provided by a company anymore. I don't drive a BMW that's provided by a company. Not since my partner and I started our own business three years ago. We saw how stupid that was. <laughs> it's amazing the insights that you gain, huh? 
But we don't do that anymore. And, you know, and, and so and we used to take trips on corporate jets to other cities, to other divisions to see what was going on and count all the money that the profit centers were making and all the bonus distributions and all that kind of stuff. And we used to do all that. We don't do it anymore. People say, oh, aren't you bitter? Aren't you angry? Aren't you disappointed? I mean, aren't you bitter the fact that you've got to work twice as hard to make 30% less money than you made just a few years ago? Aren't you bitter? Absolutely not. I don't understand. Why not? We live in a whole world filled with bitter people because they're all looking back on what used to be and it's not that way anymore. That was then and this is now. What's the secret of contentment? Seeing God's hand in every situation. I praise Him for those days. Those are great experiences and for the income that we made and for everything we got to enjoy. And I praise God for all of that. But you know what? I'm not losing sight on the fact I'm praising Him for today too. You see, the problem is that many of us aren't content anymore because we're comparing it to the way things used to be. I like this. I got a birthday card from someone here that was kind of funny. came in this old tattered envelope and it was all just unbelievable. But this was the note that was in it. Money is short. Times are hard. I hope you enjoy your recycled card. <laughs> I like that. Is it the same as the cards that he used to send with the checks in? No. There was never any checks in them, but... Hey, the point is this. That was then and this is now. And you live life in the present. Not in the future. Not in the past. But you enjoy today. Because this may be the only day that you have left here on the face of the earth. I deal with professional athletes. I have for a long time. And it was amazing to me how bitter they could be because one year they made a million five and the next year they were trying to get them to take a pay cut down to seven fifty. And they're all ticked off and bitter and they're upset and angry about it. And I can understand that because, you know what, it's no different than a person who used to work for a company and got six weeks vacation and then after the layoff they had to get a new job and they're making 20% less money and they're working harder than they ever worked before and now they only have two weeks vacation. But I used to get six weeks! So what? That was then and this is now. Is there anything that you can see that you can praise God for today in your life? So you used to make a lot more money. So what? You don't anymore. What's that mean? I don't understand. What are we bitter about? What are we angry about? What are we discontent about? We've got our priorities messed up. We've, got, we've taken our eyes and our focus off the Lord. We need to recognize that truth. I'll give you an example. This past Sunday, I got a call from a friend of mine. And, uh, and uh, he's at USC. He's a coach. And he asked me if I could do the USC chapel for the Rose Bowl. So I drove up and I met with him. And we talked and we visited. And you know what's interesting? He said, man, Chuck, he goes, you don't, know, you won't, you don't realize how, how difficult this year has been for us at USC. And I did because I was doing a Bible study on the scene, so I got a good feel, but I let him talk and explain. He said, you know, all the expectations were that we would go 12-0, and that we'd win a national championship, it would beat Notre Dame, would beat UCLA, you know, would win the Rose Bowl, blah, 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 blah. And we ended up 8-2-1. and Oh. We ended up winning the Pac-10. We ended up getting a Rose Bowl bid. We ended up going to the Rose Bowl. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but I told him they were going to win. But, you know, you always wait till afterwards because I used to tell the Rams that all the time. Um, <laughs> but the point is, but the point is, it's like discontentment. Fire the coach. We need some changes. We wanted perfection and we didn't get it. But what did you get? You got a 9-2-1 and team. You got a team that won the Rose Bowl. You got a team that generated $8 million for your athletic department by getting to the Rose Bowl. I mean, what is it that we want in life? 
So you're not making a million five like you used to because of the salary cap. So now you're making four fifty. You're making four fifty. So you're not making sixty thousand like you used to, and now you got this management position and change and this acquisition and all these things happening in your company and they're downsizing and all this stuff's going on in your life. And so now you're only making forty. But you're making forty. You don't have six weeks vacation. You have two. Hey, you have two. You're not going to Europe on trips anymore. You're going to San Diego for the weekend. Hey, what's wrong with going to San Diego for the weekend? Got a lot of relatives. See, honey? <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> but you did really well today, too, and I got to add. <laughs> Thank you. Your prayers are paying off, folks. You know, I saw something on TV the other day just got me a little excited, so I thought I'd share it. They're interviewing a federal worker who was displaced on a temporary basis by the government shutdown. Yeah, let me just tell you something about what I heard. This guy said, you know what? I've worked for the government for 26 years. I've never been laid off and I've never missed a check. This just isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't the way it should be. This isn't what America's all about. Oh, you know, my heart just broke when I heard that. Because <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, 27 years, same job. Never missed a check. Never was laid off. Never was threatened to lose a job. Not based on performance. Not based on nothing. Just based on being there. And then I thought, you know, in the 17 years we lived in Southern California, I've had six different jobs. I had one company that was sold and acquired by a major oil company. That was pretty interesting. And that oil company told us to go out and start another company, which they divested themselves of in, in another two years after we started the business. Then I went from there to a manufacturing company to a guy who was a cokehead that drove the company into the ground and bankrupted it. Then I went from there to working for somebody else, and then finally we decided four years ago to start our own company. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this guy talk about how, how tough his life is that for 26 years he's never missed a paycheck and doesn't really understand what it's like to appreciate what he has. And then I listened yesterday to all the bureaucrats and the politicians that somehow or another feel obligated to go back and pay all these people for not working. And then I think to myself, who can I write a letter to and ask for wages for all the time when we had to use our own savings to start up our company, or times when we had to use our own savings in between jobs, or times when our businesses slowed down and we didn't make as much money as we were supposed to make, and so there were cutbacks and things. And I'm thinking to myself, who can I write this letter to because I got some back wages coming to me? <laughs> now, you could get off on all that and get bitter by all of it, or discontent by it, but I just use it as an illustration to help us to understand this truth. And the truth of the matter and the point that I'm trying to get across is this. Please don't lose sight of what God is doing for you today. Please don't lose sight of the blessings that God has given you today by looking back and comparing it to the way things used to be. Don't let the devil rob you of the joy of knowing that we got a God who loves us and cares for us, a God that's meeting our needs daily. Don't lose sight of that. Grow content. 
He said, you know what, and, and the reality of all of it is, and I stop and think about it, and, and I talked to a friend this past week, and he said, Chuck, you know what, but there's a fine line between contentment and complacency. And I agree with him 100%. And some of us are beginning to get complacent, and we need to recognize the fact that God wants us to do our best. He wants us to give our best at work. He wants us to be the best employee if we work for someone. He wants us to own the best company that's out there that has integrity and offers a product that is good for people that absolutely at a good price and a fair price. He wants us to be the best that we could be because we're out there and we're working and serving Him. So don't mistake contentment for complacency. Contentment is a gift from God when we walk with Him daily and we've come into a right relationship through, through Jesus Christ and we see God's hand in every area of our life and we can still find room to praise Him. You see, because all the material things that we're striving after, all of these depreciating items, every one of them, whether they increase in value or depreciate in value, all of them, God says, one day will be destroyed. He says, why are you seeking treasures here on earth and storing treasures here on earth where rust will destroy it and moths will destroy it and thieves will break in and steal it? Why are you seeking to store up treasures here on earth that cannot last? And Solomon, the greatest king who ever lived and walked the face of the earth and had everything the world has to offer, said, hey, chasing material things is like chasing soap bubbles. It's vanity. It's all an illusion. It looks good. But one day you pay the price. And that's what happened to us when we buy stuff on credit. And we need to recognize this is the truth of the Word of God. And we need to realize something else. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your way of life be free from the love of money. Being content with what you do have. Not what you used to have and not what you want to have, but what you have today. Be content with that. For God Himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never desert you, nor, nor will I ever forsake you. Folks, God will never disappoint us but money and material things always will. And you cannot, you cannot meet the greeds of one another in your marriage if you have not settled the contentment issue between you and God. You cannot keep chasing the elusive material possession God and think somehow one day you'll be fulfilled. You want to be fulfilled in your marriage? Then you become a great husband. You become a great wife. You become best friends. You spend time together. And don't mistake having stuff as a replacement for having one another. Don't go off track. Because contentment is a gift from God. And let me tell you something. The only way you can lose contentment is that you have to give it away. You have to give it away. I'm going to close with these thoughts. How do you give contentment away? Number one, you take your eyes off of the Lord. That's the first way you lose your contentment. You start putting your eyes on other people that have more than you. You start looking around you at what other people drive and other people own and other people have, and you'll immediately lose contentment. You'll lose contentment by taking your eyes off of the Lord and looking back in your life. If there are times in your life where, quote, things were better, and you continue to look behind you, then you'll lose all the contentment that God has to give you for today. Don't look back. You lose contentment by going window shopping. Let me just tell you some hard, cold realities of the world that we live in. You will become discontent very fast when you tell me or tell the next person, hey, you know what, we're only going out and we're just looking. That's the biggest lie from the pit of hell that I ever heard in my life. We're just looking. Hey, we've never bought anything that we didn't see first. Just looking? Don't go to the mall to just look. Don't go window shopping. Don't visit model homes just to look and get ideas. What kind of ideas do you think you're going to get? 
You're going to get the idea you live in a dump. Oh, we're just going out to the car lot. We're looking for a car. We're just looking. They're going to see you pull up. And the first thing a good salesman does is go, did you borrow that to get here? That's yours. Oh, let us show you something that you deserve. And the way we can make you feel like you can deserve it is we'll give you low monthly payments for 778 years. You can have a picture of what you're paying for long after it died somewhere. And you'll be looking at it and you're going to have it right next to your checkbook and you're going to be writing checks and looking at the picture and writing a check and looking at the picture and writing a check and going, what did we do? Don't go window shopping. Don't go to showrooms. Don't go looking through catalogs, watching infomercials. Don't watch the home shopping network. Don't covet your neighbor's goods. And you want to become content? Why don't you get involved in the lives of people who have less than you? Why don't you go down to the Union Rescue Mission and serve meals sometimes? Why don't you go to a a children's shelter, a women's shelter for abused wives, battered women? Go to the Salvation Army, volunteer. I mean, go other places and find out what the rest of the world is experiencing. One of the things that all our trips all over the world taught us was that there's no country that has the opportunities like the United States of America. It is the greatest country on the face of the earth. And every time we'd come home and we'd get off the plane, I just want to sit down and just kiss the ground and thank God for where I live. Thank God for how he provides for us. But to never take that for granted and to appreciate the fact that, you know what? Contentment is rooted in a right relationship with God. Folks, if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life and you've never made him Lord of your life, then this whole subject of contentment is a waste of time for you because we can only be content when the Spirit of God lives within us and he says amen to all the truths that we're speaking to today. It's the Spirit of God in the life of the believer that says amen. You know what? What he's saying is right. I've become a selfish person. I've taken a lot of things for granted. And I need to recognize God's hand in my life today. And I want to ask you to do something, and we're going to close in prayer. But I think many of us, we need to ask God for forgiveness. We've become selfish people who have taken our eyes off of our Lord. And we've put them on people around us, and we've put them on our past, and we think that God somehow owes us. And we forgot to thank Him for what He's doing for us today. Why don't we just close in prayer? Father, thank you for this opportunity just to get smacked up the side of our head with truth. Because many of us are nothing more than spoiled, rotten little kids. We've grown up with a silver spoon in our mouth and we haven't learned to appreciate a perspective that's different than what we see. God, and I want to ask for forgiveness. I want to ask you to forgive me for taking things for granted that I need to see in my life. Of how you meet our needs daily. Of how you take care of me by giving me the ability even to go out and work to bring home an income that can provide for my family's needs. God, help me to see this in my life and to never forget it, never to take my eyes off of you and to praise you every day for what you do today and thank you for it. God, I just pray that each one of us that are here will learn to honor you first so that we're reminded of these truths, that we'll learn to be giving people 
to meet the needs of others, to give so that the work of the gospel can continue the great news of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his forgiveness over the power of sin and Satan and, and, and hell and death. That if we would just believe in him, we should not perish but would have everlasting life. What a great story that is and what a great truth that is. God, help us to be committed to get that information out of the hands of any person that will listen. God, help us to recognize the danger of debt and to stop buying things on credit and extending ourselves, but to save for things as you provide the ability to buy, to learn to be content with today, and to learn that you are a God who takes care of all of our needs, and you promise to do so, and we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.